You're listening to Hope's Cast. This podcast is a space dedicated to self-growth and motivation. By sharing our truths and parts of our stories, we hope to inspire you to find your silver lining and tell your life's best story. Today I have Webby-nominated multimedia journalist Natalie Basha with me, and I really couldn't be more thrilled. I just wish you could be here in Chicago with me, but due to the pandemic, she's home in California, and I'm here in Chicago, but honestly, I'll take what I can get because it's a dream come true having this interview with you. I've just been a fan for years and I just can't believe that finally we can sit down and I can pick your brain a little bit about what your life is behind the scenes. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for for having me, that's so sweet. And for people that don't know you or are familiar with your work, you created a dream job for yourself. You travel the world and you tell stories about different cultures and experiences, and you kind of made that dream come true on your own through your YouTube channel called The Travel Muse. And tell us what The Travel Muse means to you. Like, what does that title mean? So it's evolved a lot um, over the years. But when I first created it, I, I was really, I felt inspired just by traveling and exploring the world. I felt like every time I went out into the world, I grew as a person. I learned something about, you know, being open-minded and being a global citizen. So for me, I was inspired myself by travel. So I I decided to make the Travel Muse a brand for myself because it really kind of encapsulated how I felt, how uh, giving travel is to people. And now, you know, I've had that for like seven, seven or eight years. And now it's evolved into quite literally just being inspired by travel things because I'm not traveling anymore. I don't have the job that I used to have um, when that really became a big thing. So now it's like, how can we be, how can travel inspire us in ways that is not traveling? (laughs) So can we like, can we be inspired by traveling through our food, traveling through telling interpersonal stories, things of that nature since you know, travel really doesn't mean what it used to mean before. We're not alone with, you know, having to adapt digitally and especially for you because your job was all about travel. Now you really have to take it home, but I think it really says a lot to your passion, your drive, and to the idea that you're really following your dreams because you're able to take even not the best situation and create work, create something. So I know now you kind of shifted a little bit from travel to at home, like cooking, but still tying in that culture. Like you're still teaching people about these places, but through food. And I mean, who doesn't enjoy eating? (laughs) I mean, it's, I call it now the intersection of food and travel. Um, Because I think those, those are so intertwined and it was part of my brand even before, but now I've just, I've now have made it the forefront of that. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, I don't think there's anything that anybody can dislike about food or travel, especially when you put it together. Exactly. And let's like kind of walk people through. So I know you have a lot of things online. You have videos talking about your career, but people that are tuning in for the first time, I think it's really exciting to share these stories with people that aren't really going the traditional route or following a step-by-step process, because especially in this day and age, especially how technology is changing and, and we're kind of evolving you have to kind of follow your gut and take risks. So I'm gonna give them a little bit of an idea of what your career started. So you basically were in entertainment reporting at the beginning and you realized you kind of wanted something a little bit harder. So you joined a daytime show in Dayton, Ohio called Living Dayton. Then from there, you were at KFMB, which is a CBS affiliate in San Diego, where you were a morning reporter. And yes, that's like the 2 a.m. wake up call craziness led to a little bit of burnout. And then from there, you kind of were inspired when you're kind of pushed to that little corner to expand and create this travel muse. But what people don't really realize from that story is there were a lot of like ups and downs and having to push through. And I even remember reading somewhere that you even dropped out of college before you even started your career. So can we talk just a little bit about the struggle that people didn't see? Because I just shared the highlights and the pivotal moments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so up and down and I actually started my career really late in terms of, you know, when people get into broadcasting or journalism, you know, they, they, they tend to start kind of right out of college. 
And I, I was nothing about what I did was linear whatsoever. And, you know, like I didn't, I didn't go straight away to, to a four-year university. I was in community college trying to figure out what do I really want to do. I got my real estate license while I was going to community college thinking maybe I could do that. It was a terrible fit. And, and so I thought, you know, the only thing that I can do is what I, I know I'm good at. And I know that I'm good at writing and speaking and being in front of the camera. So I eventually went to college that way, but I only did it for two years. Um, but I graduated later. I was like 25 when I graduated because I had taken all this time in between with real, real estate and something that didn't fit me whatsoever. And then, you know, getting the jobs and, and, and working in TV in those first few jobs, I think I learned more about what I didn't want to do than what I did want to do, which is also valuable. But, you know, you have those moments in between, like, yes, I was working for CBS in San Diego, um, which is a, a huge market and so many people want to work there. But the job itself and the shifts that I was working was so unbelievably miserable. And it, it nearly turned me off from pursuing this career at all um, because I burned out so fast. You know, and I say it was miserable because when you say that you're a morning reporter, what that really means is you have to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning to get to the station by 3 o'clock in the morning to go live by 4.30. That's not a normal rhythm. That goes against every natural circadian rhythm. It's very isolating because nobody else is on that schedule. Like I, I was going to sleep when my friends were coming back from work. I was waking up when my friends were just going to sleep. So I was not only tired and thrown out of whack, but I was isolated from everybody. And that did not last. I mean, that lasted like four months. I couldn't do it past that. And then, yeah, in the, in the creation between CBS, San Diego and the Travel Muse, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I skip in between because it took me three years to get anywhere with the travel muse to, to turn that into something um, viable that I could start making a career off of. And in those three years, I was working as a receptionist at a dental office. Um, and, you know, and I, and while I was working, while I was doing that, I was, cre I was at home at night filming videos, editing them. And so that's the part that people don't see. It's like, Yes, you see these jobs that I had, but in between there's these deep valleys um, where I really just had to make it work. You know, I didn't want to work at a dental office, but I needed money and I needed a job that was going to give me the flexibility to still be able to go home and work and edit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many of those deep valleys, but then real highs and then real deep valleys <laughs> in between everything. And I don't think people talk about them enough, or at least when I was studying journalism too, we have a, I didn't even realize we had a similar go at it. I went to community college as well, and I thought I was going to law school, but then I, you know, later in the game, I studied also for two years and then, you know, things happen, but it's people like you for, you know, people that are aspiring to do these jobs that are the most influential in my opinion, because you didn't do it just that natural way or the typical way you really paved it for yourself and I think sometimes people get stuck in that like actually pushing through the hard part but yeah I realize once you do that you kind of figure out your own path although it's not easy it kind of comes together eventually a hundred percent and I was I'm glad you said this because I get this question all the time I mean like every single day there's something in my dm from someone asking me how do I do what you did and I know it's not a satisfying answer, but I always say to them, I cannot tell you how to do this. It's, you have to figure out your own path. I mean, there's a lot of, there's, there are people like me, like other journalists like me, who ended up doing similar work. Like um, uh, there's a reporter, Johnny Harris, who used to work for Vox, who did very similar work to me, but his path to getting to his job was nothing like my path. And if you look at all these different reporters and journalists that you admire, they probably don't have the same story either. So when people come to me um, and they want me to tell them what to do, I tell them, I, can't, I cannot tell you. You have to be willing to craft your own path. You have to be unattached to the path itself. You can have the goal in mind, but you cannot be attached to how the path unfolds. You, you kind of just have to like prepare and see what comes to you and make your own stepping stones across that river. It's, it's not going to look like my path. And I think people get very frustrated when I say that because of course they want, they want an answer like, yes, you have to do A, B, and C, but that doesn't exist. 
what was so cool in your story was that you kind of created, I call it a toolbox, right? So you have your um, undergrad education and basically writing. So, okay, you have that writing skill, but then you did do that really hard nitty gritty uh, MMJ work, which is carrying the camera around, doing the interviews. So you added that to your toolbox and then you ultimately created this job. And yes, it did take three years. I'm sure it was, there was days where you're probably like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I don't have any money coming in, but then yeah. eventually Circa hired you and one of your videos received like millions of views. And when I say million, like over, over 70 million, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it made it worth it because yes, there were times when I was working in the dental office and I was, and I, and I was really toiling away and I still feel this way, by the way, about, about YouTube and like the travel muse you put, I put so much, so much of myself into these passion projects, you know, like these video, like I just recently did um, uh, coverage on like Native American Heritage Month and I was pouring myself into this research and making this, these videos and then it goes out there and it does not get the response that you thought. It does, the response does not match the passion for which you put into it. And it's, it can be very deflating. Um, and when I was working on the Travel Muse prior to getting to Circa, I felt, I very much felt like that. I was like, why am I working so hard to put these passion projects out there and I'm not getting the passion back? It's, it makes you feel like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Like maybe it's not the right path for me. And then Circa came along and started, and I started to feel validated because I was only, what I was doing for Circa was exactly what I was doing for the Travel Muse. It was just for a bigger and different platform. And, and it started, that created the momentum. And I'm like, you know what, maybe what I'm doing has a place in this world and I just have to be patient with it. And I think if, if it's okay with you, we can kind of talk about how that's changed during the pandemic now, because a lot of people are in your same shoes, honestly. And I know you shared with me that you have recently left Circa. And do you mind sharing with us that experience and how you're still holding on or your thought process? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so my career with Circa recently ended. I was with, so Circa is actually underneath the Sinclair broadcasting umbrella, or it was. Um, they shut Circa down about two years ago, but I stayed on. I didn't get let go when they shut Circa down. I, I just transitioned to a different department within the Sinclair Broadcasting umbrella. And, um, and through, through that work, when I got transferred to a different digital department within Circa, I mean, within Sinclair, we were tasked with the initiative to create original content that Sinclair would own and could then take that as a template and build upon um, for future, you know, original content concepts, because that's not what they do right now. They just, they just license and buy things. Um, so we came up with hashtag travel. That was a concept that I came up with. I pitched, produced, did everything for, and it, it is now airing on the Roku channel. So I would say that was a great success, but Sinclair didn't see it that way. And then the pandemic really put the kibosh on that project. And it led to Sinclair letting myself and my whole production team go. I mean, I lost my job with Sinclair uh, about a month ago. I'm a casualty of COVID. My job, my career is a casualty of COVID. And there are so many journalists just like me who are in the same boat. And it feels scary and it feels isolating. I think COVID is changing the journalism and broadcasting landscape in some ways not for the better, but in some ways for the better, because I think it's actually putting, it's creating an, an era where content is more important than ever. It's just trying to figure out how do we get a, go about making content when, when there's so few people, in, there's so few jobs because COVID has eliminated so many jobs. So it's a, it's a weird landscape to be in, in this, in this industry. Um, and for any industry, really, because it's, it's no one really knows the way forward. So I'm just trying to have the faith and the patience, knowing that it will work out. I just keep, you know, I, I just, I know even, I'm not panicking because I know some way, somehow, everything will work out for me and for everybody else who's in the same boat. And do you get that because you've been there before and your biggest breakthrough was the Travel Muse re receiving the success that it did? And I mean, for me, the way that I look at it is, hope you've done it before 
And if you've done it before, you can do it again because when times get rough, that's just what we do. And I feel like as journalists, we're programmed to figure it out. And the ones that don't figure it out end up not staying in the business. And like yeah. you said, right now it's all about this technology and wanting to learn and wanting to grow. And it's no longer, well, you have the title, you have the name. Like, no, if you're not able to really create this content and really try to connect in a deeper level with your viewers, I don't think the same stuff is going to fly. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, you, I think with you gain confidence in yourself with every time that you prove that you prove you can do it. So, you know, in that era when I was working for the for the dental office and, and working on the travel muse, I had a goal in mind that I was going to turn the travel muse into a career where I could be a journalist who travels the world and tells, you know, human stories about connection and culture. And I did exactly that. Like I my mother loves to say that she's a big manifest believer. And she was like, you manifested that job into your life. And, she, and as much as I like to laugh about my mom, like talking about manifestation and all of that, I, ha I have to admit that she was right. I did manifest that in my life. I, I to the down to the T I manifested what that was. And to your point, you know, I've done it before and I feel more confident this time that I can do it again. And I, and I will do it again. It's just a matter of like having the confidence in yourself to know that, you know, if you, you have the passion and you put the time into it, something will happen. You, you will get somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of confidence in yourself with each, with each kind of small achievement like that. And I think at this point, it's just a lesson in patience. And I'm grateful to you and the other journalists that allow me the space and the time to at least just share these thoughts and ideas or that kind of virtual hug in a way, because I think we need it sometimes as much as totally. it, we're strong and we, we think we always are trying to have it together. We're all, I think, faking it until we make it at some point. Oh, totally. I mean, that's what Instagram is. And that's kind of why I, I, I try to like, you know, intersperse like bits of real life in there. Yes. I am, I do try to wear rose colored glasses and that reflects in my Instagram. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't post the times when I'm having an anxious thought and I'm like on the verge of tears because I'm wondering where's my next paycheck going to come from. I don't post that all the time, but every now and then I'm like, you know what? It's good. It's good to share the struggles, especially as female journalists, because it's a really tough industry. And just life in general is tough. So like, why not talk about all of these things? You know, Instagram can be rosy and it can be positive and that's great. Just as there's a little bit of balance with some like, you know, real life stuff. And from that, let's kind of talk about the real life stuff of traveling because I enjoy traveling so much, but I don't think people or even myself always prepare mentally for what that really means and especially when it becomes a job so like you have to incorporate are you packing for the right things but then with you when it's a job you probably have little to no downtime to actually smell the roses and do those fun things that you're kind of talking about and then you also have this time change where you're probably like half asleep through all of it and it's probably like so hazy so can you kind of talk about the struggle behind this title of like oh i'm a travel journalist and i travel oh my God. <laughs> i hope i could go on about this for so long um so let me preface this by saying i love it like even though it's a struggle i loved it i did document so if you go on my youtube channel and you look up the the behind the scenes series that i did reporting in colombia i filmed like when i had when i had three hours of sleep and had to wake up to go to like a mountain town to film like a coffee plantation. I mean, my eyes were bloodshot. I had bags like down to my nose. I couldn't think straight. But yeah, I mean, when you travel for work versus traveling for pleasure, it's a totally different beast. And, and doing reporting trips like that, you basically are on a budget because there's, there's really no such thing anymore I mean, unless it's Netflix, there's no such thing anymore as like big budget international productions. Everything is on a shoestring budget. So you have to take the cheapest flight, which means you've got to take, you know, the flight that has two, three layovers. It takes 30 hours to get there. And then you have to, in order to make it worth the while for the company that's funding this trip, you have to start right away. You cannot take a day to like relax and acclimate to the time. And uh, like in Colombia, when I was doing that trip, I 
got to Columbia. My bags didn't make it. We, my flight actually got so delayed that I didn't leave LA until three o'clock in the morning. I was so delayed that I missed my first story. So my, my uh, partner who was meeting me in Columbia, he had to do it for me. Even though it was my story, I wasn't physically there. And I had to land with no bags, no change of clothes because they didn't make it and immediately jump from the hotel, grab my stuff and go start shooting. And the entire two weeks that we were in Colombia was like that. We changed hotels every two nights. I never, got a, I never got a chance to acclimate to the time because not only was I not taking a day off, but I was also sleeping, you know, only four or five hours at night because there were shoots that were, over, you know, across the country, we were constantly moving. And in fact, when I did, uh, or hashtag travel was the last projects that I did professionally. And when I was in London filming for that, I actually, I see myself in that production on hashtag travel, even though it looks beautiful. And we, you know, we picked the best shots and I see myself in that. And I remember how miserable I felt because I was so tired. I, I landed at like midnight and then eight o'clock the next morning. I had to be, I was on camera. I had to go to a shoot. I was I hadn't had breakfast. I really didn't do any research before the shoot because I was too damn tired. I needed to go to sleep. I was jet lagged and I'm sitting there. I was sitting in like sketched um, tea house, like in London. It's like this really posh, um, Instagrammable, like, you know, like tea, like proper tea place. And I had to do it at eight o'clock in the morning because we had to shoot it before they opened to the public. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to talk to this, to this girl about like what Sketch London's all about. And I can see that I'm glazed over. I remember being like, oh my God, I just wanna go, I just wanna go to sleep. I just wanna go to sleep. I don't think anybody else can see it, but I do. Um, and there's so much, I mean, I got sick because of how little we sleep and how much we have to work and move around. I got massively sick, not just like a cold, but like knocked on my ass sick on every single reporting trip that we did, every single one of them. I, I actually, I had to work through a fever when we were shooting in Thailand. Um, I got strep throat when I was in shooting in the Republic of Georgia. I mean like sick sick and you still have to work through it. Oh, in New Zealand for hashtag travel. I think I got like the full blown flu and had to still do interviews because you can't, you can't get sick and say, oh, we'll re reschedule. There's no doing it a second time. You have to do it. And that's what people don't get, I think. And they, and even me, I'm going to say like, until I started doing it myself, I would look at people like you or really anything and look at the surface. And then especially through the pandemic and especially because what's driving me to follow my dreams are my friends and my old colleagues and the people that in my eyes are succeeding, sharing stories like yours. It really plummeted me and maybe maybe I shouldn't have to hear that from someone to be encouraged but it worked for me and I, I genuinely believe that if more people were encouraged or if they heard a little bit more about the struggle that we could all kind of be kinder as well and maybe Instagram can change a little bit so that people aren't so like I don't know about you but sometimes I get anxious going on there like I'm like am I doing enough am I posting enough it's hard you know yeah, yeah for sure yeah I mean Again, it's that balance, you know, you want, you obviously want to show the highlights cause that, cause they're great. But I, I do think it's, it's the responsible thing to do in this day and age to also talk about the pitfalls. And I, I did try, I mean, like when I go back and, and think about, you know, my, when I, when I was on my reporting trips, I, I, I think I really did make an effort to post about how exhausted I was in between. Uh, I know I certainly did that when I was in Japan was one of the one of the worst reporting trips for me because of the fact that it was the most intense jet lag because it was so we were so far in a different time zone and um i literally had four days i had four days to shoot uh i don't know like eight stories or something ridiculous like that and i was burning out so hard and i remember posting i remember like posting from my bed being like this is it's i love it but this is not easy 
Well, maybe because I'm a fan, I just saw all of, like the highlight of it and like just thought she was like, oh my gosh, she looks so great and she's so exhausted. Or, oh, there's like beautiful blossoms in the pink. Like I can still kind of remember that image of like yeah. all the pink flowers and you. And, and that's kind of like sometimes all people can focus on. So for you, that's great. You're doing your job fabulously because you're right. Like if you're not sharing it, no one would know. And I think that's that's part of it and really part of life sometimes is we got to wear those masks and we, we just have to try our best. But um, I'm glad that you're in this space with me where we can also kind of be vulnerably real for a minute because I yeah. think that's helpful too. So yeah, yeah. I, really I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing rose colored glasses either. You know, I mean, I mean, I think, I think you saw, you saw my work and saw only the good in it because you love it and because you are equally passionate. And I think that's, a, that, that is also a good thing. It's not a bad thing to see the world that way. Can we talk a little bit then about our gifts? Because I think what really inspired you from what you're saying is that you created your own path because you were tired of having to pick and choose a little things that you enjoyed and then having to really put up with the things you really didn't enjoy. So what would you say about that? Like living outside of the box, because that's something I learned from you. And one thing that I fight for all the time for myself is like, no one can put me in a box because I know that when I'm passionate about an idea or when I feel something, that's going to create the best work and hopefully the best response because I just, I feel like it has to work out. Yeah. I mean, I think people assume that in order to get to a, a role where you're in front of the camera or working in a large market, that you have to follow a formula, which is go to college, get a degree, work work your way from small markets all the way up to big markets and then ta-da you're there and that's it it and it that couldn't be farther from the truth um and i think i've always shied away from doing the things that people told me i needed to do because i never felt like the box fit me and what i wanted to what i wanted to do with my life you know i i didn't want to just work for local stations i, I didn't want to just cover um you know, fires and car crashes and protests. I mean, all those things are super important and they, and they deserve to be covered too. My passions were what's happening outside of, of our world, of our country, what's happening outside of our bubble. Um, because that's, that was one of the things that I, that I felt traveling was so valuable for it because it really expands your horizons. It shows you, you know, that humanity exists all over at the end of the day. Everybody wants the same thing. It doesn't matter where we're from or what language we're from or what we do for, for work or whatever. Everybody wants the same thing. Everybody has a story. And I wanted to go out and tell those stories. I felt like I, staying in my bubble of local news was just not the answer for me. I mean, it, it is for some, for many people, it's a wonderful career. I just knew it wasn't the career that, that I wanted to do because I had already been exposed to the world and I just felt like what I could offer, you know, society or what I could, what I could, my contribution to the world would be to tell those stories that are outside the box of traditional broadcasting. I think that's so hard sometimes though, because you are going against maybe what your family thinks or what other journalists think or what the whole industry thinks, but you're an ad, you're advocating the truth that it's like well if you kind of go outside of that box you can create something even more special and for me I mean I'm kind of doing it that in my own small way and sometimes I wonder like okay hope like we'll see but ultimately I no one can pay me the satisfaction that I get by telling the stories that I want to tell and in the way that I want to do them so I totally agree with you and I, I just I think there's no monetary value to that feeling of completion when you put something out there that just means so much oh, yeah. yeah yeah i would do this if no one was paying i mean i am doing i did do this with no one paying me and i continue to do it with no one paying me right now and i always will and that's how you know that you've hit your passion and why it's important to just listen to yourself and not necessarily box yourself in the way we're told to but it's tough like my mother Bless her, I love her, but she comes from a different generation where this, what we're doing, this path that like, you know, millennials are creating for the, that's not a thing. So she's, she's always scared thinking that I've ruined my chances. Like she wants me to just find a job as an anchor and stay there, that's it. Like, just be safe. She has never really understood 
this landscape that we're in and like that you can create things for yourself. So it's like a con, like even now, even now, I hope she doesn't hear this. Even now, <laughs> after, you know, securing my job at Circa and, and make, surviving the shutdown of Circa and being transferred deeper into Sinclair and all the other jobs, like all the other things that have manifested for myself, she still thinks that like, maybe it would be better if you just went to a TV station and stayed there, you know? And, and it's tough when you have those influences in your life um, who don't get it, who want the best for you, but like they ju they're just, they want you to just, just be safe. I just can't help but smiling. I'm not smiling because I'm like not totally agreeing with you or I don't feel you completely. I'm just smiling because I'm like, yes, like someone gets me. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't know the landscape. So, so she still to this day will, will talk about like, you know, I have, I have friends from back home who are anchors or reporters, you know, in other stations. And she'll like kind of throw in our conversations. Like, did you see Ali's live shot was picked up on CNN? And it's like, I know you're telling me this because you think that that's what I should be doing or something like that, you know? And then she also, she also doesn't understand the landscape in that she thinks that, you know, you're so talented, you should be doing, why aren't you as big as like whoever, you know, whoever she sees. And it's, it's trying to explain like, it, we're no longer really in a merit-based society where just because you're talented, you're going to rise to the top. There's so many other things because this isn't their generation. You know, our parents didn't grow up with social media and the internet. And, you know, you can't just walk into like CNN and say, I'd like a job, please. It doesn't work like that anymore. And so I know I'm, I'm putting my mom on the spot, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of people, you know, in, in my world who, who really um, are, be, are supportive, but don't understand it whatsoever. And I think I can completely relate. So at least you have one person that understands you fully. Yeah. So, right? <laughs> yeah. You too. We got each other. Um, so tell me a little bit about what, what you think when you think of your success. Do you ever sit down and feel like I don't deserve this or how did I get here? All the time. Um, and it's really something that I'm trying to work on myself because I, I, uh, I think I struggle, and I didn't know this was a thing until recently. I think I struggle very much with imposter syndrome um, because I, in, in some ways, I feel like I only am where I am because I got lucky, you know, not necessarily because I was good enough to be there. I, it's really when I stop and really force myself to like look at my work and my achievements and say, no, I, I did these things because I was good at it. And I deserved, I deserved that chance, not because I was just lucky, uh, but, he, but that is like the devil on my shoulder telling me, you know, telling me those things that you don't just, it's sometimes it's even weird for me that, that you tell me that you look up to me because in some ways I don't feel deserving of that. Um, because I am like, look at where I am now with no job. And I feel it, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, even though I know it shouldn't. But, you know, for a long time, I thought, I only got lucky getting that job at Circa. The, the people that put Circa together really didn't know the landscape. They really didn't understand digital media or know what they were doing. And they, I think they made a lot of mistakes in hiring. You know, when I saw what the company came, it didn't, it ultimately didn't end up working because it was a mess. You know what I mean? And so I felt like I only got that job and was given all that I was given, you know, the free reign that I was giving because they didn't know better. And so I, I have a, there's a, there's a lot that I struggle with now, like, you know, trying to find another job and interviewing. And I'm thinking like the people that I'm talking to now, they're, they're the real deal. They know what they're doing. They're in digital media and they're going to see through me the way people at Sinclair didn't because they didn't know this, this world really. And, and I have to fight that so much. Um, you know, I, I did, I, I interviewed over the phone very recently with a major company that I have been dying to work for pretty much since I started my career and they ghosted me, <laughs> you know, um, I did the interview. I thought it went well. I followed up with emails. I think I sent them five emails to follow up. I mean, I, we interviewed like two months ago, nothing, not a word 
not, not even to say no thank you. They just stopped talking to me. And the, the imposter syndrome side of me is like, well, that's because they see you, you don't deserve to be there. But then the other side of me is like, no, you know, like logically, you know, that they're busy, COVID, maybe they found somebody who was more suited and it's not a personal thing. I don't know. But I do have those moments of like um, feeling unworthy. And then I need to like change my internal dialogue with myself. And I am speechless for the first time in my life, I think. Maybe like the third time in my life because it's so hard for me to hear you say that because I do have a different lens when I look at you. And just, I don't. it could be because of me understanding the behind the scenes that really all I can say, and I don't know if I have even, you know, the right to say it to you, but I just feel like that didn't work out because they weren't deserving of you. And do you really want to be in another atmosphere where you constantly have to, prove yourself more than you've already proved proven yourself you know what I mean like I yeah. kind of worked in different environments like one where it was great and I had to you know you always have to prove your value in some way like at a certain point like you want to just like have that walking into work feeling where people are on your side and honestly if that job was not going to give that to you then you are really wasting your time because you're going to end up burning out again or being miserable so all i can say is that there's a young girl here that is not much younger than you that really was like inspired by your work and kept putting in her own work to find what she wants to do and it's a bucket list to interview you and i'm getting to do that so oh that makes no that really makes me so happy and and, and those are the moments that that i have to pinch myself and say like you know you you deserve to be where you are and you know all of these things you accomplished and the people that you touched are real. It's not, a, it's not fake. It's not a, like an, a, a coincidence or an accident. So it helps me that you say that. So thank you. That really means a lot. I wasn't even sure if I should interject this tidbit, but because I was so inspired by the travel journalism and I got really lucky. So I was working at a top station in Chicago as a field producer. So I got to really understand news behind the scenes and really hone in on interviewing, et cetera. But I love that idea of traveling. And I remember when you were going to India that I signed on to the trip just to maybe have the chance to meet you and to learn even more like how to do the job. And although I was sad that you ultimately couldn't make it, it was the best experience in my life. That's so great. I felt so bad about that India thing. That that was like difference of uh, the organizers and I didn't see eye to eye on how that should have happened. You turned what could have been like a disappointing situation into something that worked for you right. and became like a, a, a learning experience and a stepping stone. So that's, that's awesome. So let's talk then like transitioning with relationships because of your job, because of how busy it is. Um, it's probably not been the easiest to maintain friendships or relationships. And I think it's great that you're engaged, you now have purchased your first home, something that myself and a lot of journalists are like, will that actually ever happen? We actually, we actually didn't purchase it. We're renting it um, because I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to be able to purchase in Southern California because it's too damn expensive here. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, especially when you have a partner who is also going after something really unconventional also very much outside of the box, you have to just make it work where you can. I, I mean, we, Evan and I were long distance for four years um, because he was going, he was in vet school getting his, you know, veterinary degree in Colorado. I was, this was actually at the time that I was working at the dental office trying to do the travel muse. I refused to move to Colorado because I was like, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to get stuck working at a TV station in Colorado. Um, and so that was a sacrifice that I had to make in order to try to have both my relationship and my career. It's very difficult to do that. And when I think about where I could be, if I, if I wasn't in a relationship, I could move wherever the jobs are. I could move to DC because that's where all the jobs are. I could move to New York because that's where all the jobs are. Um, but I, I can't do that because I have a partner who cannot move. So I, in some ways, I very much know that I'm not as not where I could be if I didn't prioritize my relationship. But to me, having a relationship with not only with my fiance, but with my friends and family means a lot. And I'm just not willing to like break up with all the relationships that I have here in LA to pursue 
a career, you know, for the sake of having a career. I'm trying to have it all, which is really difficult to do. And there are sacrifices that I have to make. I, at 35 years old, having been in this industry for as long as I have been, I could be so much farther, but that would mean I wouldn't have the relationships that I have today. And sometimes I don't think that that's something worth giving up. I don't know. I haven't yet met, I've met a lot of journalists, but I haven't met one yet that hasn't regretting, regretted giving up all relationships and all personal moves for their career. I think they reach that point when they do get to that cusp and then they decide like they're either really unhappy or they have to make some dramatic personal changes. And I think I'm on the same boat where for me, balance is really important. And at the same time, every, every decision is going to be very different for everyone and they have different values. But I think that it's important that you're sharing um, that there is a struggle in that because there is. Yeah. I mean, there are some, there are some people who can put career first and can, can, you know, kind of be ruthless when it comes to relationships or they, or they don't need it, it as much. But for me, I can't do that. Like, I, I think as humans, we are pack animals. We need support of other people. And I just know that I would be, I would be miserable if I didn't have my support system around me, especially because this industry is so hard and you need support. So it just was never an option for me to leave my fiance, to leave my family and just go where the jobs are. Even though I could be way more successful than I am now, I choose consciously to value my, my family and my relationship just as, if not more, um, than my career. Although I feel weird saying that because I, I feel like I'm also such a career person. But I, I, again, it's like trying to balance you have, you have to kind of like pick your poison. Like if you want your career, then you're going to have to let all this other stuff go. If you want your family and your relationship, then you're going to have to sacrifice all these career milestones. It's really tough. And it's interesting because obviously I did research beforehand and I've been following you for a while. If people don't know who Evan is, Evan Anton is a wildlife veterinarian. And actually, I believe that you really helped him with his success because I, I believe it was in 2016 when I first heard of your work and it was through, I think, seeing the story that you covered on him and his life behind the scenes that was on like a news station or I don't know where. And I remember you in a photo with him carrying a camera and obviously being the person I am, I'm like, okay, he's cool. But like, who is she? Who is that woman <laughs> behind the scenes? And then seeing that, you know, you guys were kind of in a relationship and it was a side thing that you did and all this happened. Um, I, I really think that that is so great. And congratulations to him. I know that he now has a show called Evan Goes Wild on Animal Planet, and that's huge. And I just, I hope that you find comfort knowing that, like, you told that story and that that's so cool. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, I don't regret um, making the career sacrifices that I make, that I made in order to stay with Evan because in, in large part, we helped each other in our careers get to where, to where we are. You know, I prioritized my relationship with Evan and in, in doing that, I did help him build his career. He, that man did not know how to speak on camera at all. I mean, at all, he was terrible. And we, when we traveled the world together, I put the camera, I turned it around on him because I knew he had this dream and this desire to be not just a veterinarian, not just a wildlife veterinarian, but a, a wildlife veterinarian that had a public profile, a public platform like Steve Irwin did. That was his dream. And so I knew if you want that, we got to work on this because you can't talk in a camera. So we would, we would travel the world together and I would put the camera on him and I would coach him how to speak, how to present, how to keep talking, like how to keep, you know, you have to be able to just keep talking and you have to be comfortable and you can't be stiff. We worked on that. So it, it, that's a roundabout way of saying like, it was still, it was so worthwhile for me to prioritize my relationship when I did, because it helped him too get to, to get to his goals. And he helped me. I mean, like I wouldn't have traveled the way I traveled to create the travel muse if it wasn't for him pushing me out of my comfort zone and taking me to Africa, taking me to the Congo, taking me to Costa Rica and South America. I mean, like, that was all his influence. So at the end of the day, I think investing in each other 
also meant we were investing in each other's careers and we helped lift each other to where we are. That's beautiful. And I'm really thankful that you're sharing that experience and that you've spent this time sharing those ins and outs and the struggles. And I was always a fan. And now I think I'm even more of a fan, but hopefully now we can actually be friends and that's even more cool. Like pinching myself. <laughs> Super cool. Um, but like you said, with manifesting, I know four years ago, I said to myself, like, hope there are people out there that are doing things that are not in a conventional way and they're still making it. And I'm really excited to check off the bucket list that I got to interview you. I hope I made you proud. I hope, I hope it's, it's been as enjoyable for you as it's been for me so far. It really has been. And it's so cool to, to hear your story and how our stories, you know, kind of intertwined and, and to see where, where you are and what you're doing with it. You're honestly a rock star. You, you did your research. I could totally tell. I mean, I didn't want to like show it on my face, but I was like, oh damn, she really read, like she read into that. That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's great. That's the mark of a, that's the mark of a true storyteller and a true journalist is to be able to do the research. You, you are beautiful, professional. And I, I just, by talking to you in this podcast, I know you're going to go, whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to do it. Oh my, literally life made. <laughs> I'm all good. So I'm going to leave you with these questions. What video gear do you recommend? Because I'm sure people want to now more than ever, ever get on the digital side of things. So what would you tell them if they want to start making videos? Okay. So there's, there's two ways I want to answer this. The first way is that, yes, if you really want to do this professionally, you should familiarize yourself with camera gear. Um, I personally shoot on Canon cameras. My, my go-to is the Canon 80D. And the reason why I like that one, uh, especially because I film myself, it has, it's the only one that it's the only like uh, camera that flips the screen so that you can see, cause like the 5D or the, the 8D or whatever, those are beautiful, beautiful cameras, but you can't see yourself. You can't see what you're filming. So I, I like that, but I would also encourage people if you really want to be professional to familiarize yourself also with Sony cameras, because in, in Sinclair, we shot with Sony FS7s, FS7, and that's a really common camera. Um, so if you want to go professional and step into any role where you have, you have to do all of it, you should be comfortable with all of like the, this, the, the industry standard cameras. So get familiar with Canon, get familiar with Sony. That said, I don't think the gear matters as much as people think it does because ultimately it doesn't matter what you're shooting with. If the story is good, it's going to be compelling for people to watch. If the storytelling is there, you can shoot something on an iPhone and it'll still be compelling to watch. And I think a great example of that, it, uh, I would encourage everyone to go watch a documentary called for Sama. And it was uh, this journalist who was living through, the Syrian civil war. And she put together a full length documentary film that was shot entirely on a very old iPhone and like a very old camcorder. I don't think she had a tripod in any shot. A lot of it was like selfie style. A lot of it was super raw. And it was one of the most compelling stories I've ever, ever watched. And she didn't have one piece of professional equipment. So I would say if you're just starting out, familiarize yourself with the cameras, get to know how to shoot on lots of them, but don't think that a good camera is going to make a story better. It's not. You should be focusing way more on the narrative than the equipment. That's great advice. And I'm taking that for myself. So I, I, I totally agree. Even with the interviewing, et cetera, I think it's so much more important to do your research to understand the person that you're interviewing to work on how you talk with people in general and then the rest kind of flows yeah it's sure. great it's great when you have a beautiful shot but you don't need it you can have a beautiful shot and a horribly told story and it that's it's people aren't going to care to watch it but if it's a great story and the narrative is there i'd shoot it on your iphone who cares like it people will still love to watch it and then I'm going to switch around your question a little bit. I'm not going to ask what you wish you told yourself when you were younger. I'm going to ask you, what do you tell yourself on your lowest days to keep you pushing forward? You are worthy. I have to repeat that to myself sometimes. 
um, you know, not having a job, watching my bank account dwindle, getting ghosted by the company that I really wanted to work for, follow, you know, next. Those, I have low moments where I'm like, you're not, you know, people are seeing through this, this, this facade that you built that you're worth, that you're worth it. And then I have to stop and be like, no, you are worth it. You are, you are worthy of all the things that you have been working towards, have gotten and will get. You're worthy. I love it. And then the last question is, who is your favorite journalist or someone that you wish you could interview? Oh, easy. Lisa Ling. I, she, is, she is the reason why I got into journalism. And specifically, the, the journalism that, I, that I'm trying to do now, like her, I was so inspired by her story. Um, you know, she started so young and, and made it to the top so fast. She, what really inspired me is she made it to The View. Many, many years ago, she became a co-host on The View, which back, back in the day was like the pinnacle. It, it was like the, everybody wanted to be at a position like that. And she walked away from it after a year. She left and she, and she was like, she was so, she stood so strong in her conviction and her, in her sense of self and said, this is not for me. My, what I can offer to the world through my work is not here. And she walked away from it. And everybody was like, are you insane, Lisa? Like nobody walks away from, from like the view. And she walked away from that and created um, her CNN series where she does go around the country, around the world and tells these in incredible stories. And I, I hold strong to, to her story, you know, of, of, of like standing strong in her convictions and her identity as a storyteller and be, not being afraid to walk away from what other people perceive to be the be all and end all, you know, she, that was a really inspiring thing for me. So if I, if I could ever meet her or like work for her or be on one of her productions or something, oh my God, that would be, a, that would be my dream come true. Well, we're manifesting it and dreams obviously <laughs> are going to come true. So I can't wait for your post when you meet her and I can't wait to hear the interview you guys do together or whatever. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on Hope's Cast, and I hope you continue enjoying the time that you have to uh, hone in on the skills that you want to work on and, and what you enjoy until your next big thing comes. And thanks for uh, chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Hope. This was lovely, and I'm sure we're going to do it again in six months, and we're both going to be in different places, and we reminisce all over again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please send in recommendations for topics or guests you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Hope on TV. Thank you to Trouble Recordings for powering this podcast. You can listen to more episodes on HopeSalmon.com.